I got to say, I have loved the last five weeks here at His Hands. Justin's done an incredible job of talking about the essentials of life. And, and, and it's, we live in a society that has so many pieces, moving pieces that are distracting, that oftentimes we miss the essentials that are going to bring us significance and fulfillment and, and joy. And in my life right now, I see his hands, this place, this gathering of believers, in case you haven't heard me here before, this is my therapy session, okay? Getting to just be unplugged and real and honest and, and being candid and transparent. Right now, I'm in a bit of a transitional period of my life. I'm in my early 50s and, and it just some unsettledness in my heart. And I'm like, God, what is it? What is it going to be? And, and the last time I've been through the circumstances I'm going through right now, God had a major change in my life. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I kind of feel like maybe a mom when the contractions start. I know something's coming, but I don't know what it's going to look like. And uh, and that's the way I feel right now. Add on top of that, circumstantially, I am OCD. I love order. And I love things to be consistent. And nothing in my life is consistent right now. And that drives me crazy. Out of my, three ki- out of my four kids, three of them will be at a different school next year. Two of them will be out of town, one out of state. I will have a middle school or a high school and two in college. And all the thrills that 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 just entails, and my roof, my roof on my house needs to be replaced, and a car needs to be replaced, and I'm adding all this up and going, ah, and it's just, it's one of those times where I'm like, Lord help, and what I need in that time is I don't need fluff, and I don't need gadgets and bells and whistles, I need the essentials, and I'll give you one example of one of the changes that's happened, and I know this is sick, okay, I know I am demented, but I enjoy doing laundry. That is one of my jams. I just throw on a ball game and do laundry. Something about taking things that are stinky and dirty and making them clean, and it just makes me feel better, and it's instant gratification. And, and, it, and I know this is sick, but for Father's Day, I got a new dryer, and I was really excited about it. <laughs> but I got to tell you the background to it, because we went about, oh gosh, it's got to be eight years ago to get a new washer. Because our washer had stopped working, we had it fixed once, stopped working, and I go in and, and I'm very basic, and the guy's like, well, this one does all this, and it's the newfangled, it's the, the, the front load, and this load, and it does this, and I'm like, okay, I want to put clothes in it with some soap, it goes, blah, 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 and it's clean, that's all I need. And, and finally he realized, that's what I'm going to get, so he's like, okay, all right, well, you need to go ahead and get the set, go ahead and get the dryer, because it's only a matter of time before the dryer goes out too. Now, that's an assumptive sale, and I was just like, well, I just need the washer. Well, you know the dryer is going to go out. It's just a matter of time. I'm like, well, it's only a matter of time before the new one goes out, too, so should I buy two because it's going to go out, too? I mean, I'm just getting the washer. Eight years later, the dryer finally died, so I made a good decision, but I got my new dryer, and we go in, and my youngest son goes with me and my wife, and he's like, Dad, look at this one. Look at this, and it's got all these lights and all these functions and got double drawers and all this different piece on the dryer. And he's like, Dad, this is awesome. And I said, yes, it looks awesome. I said, but you know what? You see the name on there? And I'm not going to tell you the name. It starts with an S, which I believe this particular brand in Korean S that Satan is basically it. (laughs) Because we bought a new 
refrigerator and a new microwave and a new dishwasher. And to make it all match, we got this particular brand. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I said, you know, you know that, that dishwasher there in our kitchen? Yeah. I said, you know how cool it looks with all the buttons and everything? I said, you know the only thing it doesn't do? Wash dishes. That's the only thing it doesn't do. Because you can punch it, and it doesn't matter how you do it. It either runs continuously, stuck on one cycle and never changes, or you got to manually open it. It's, it's a pain in the tail. It's just not worth it. I just wash it with one of the little rags. I wash all the dishes because it doesn't work. See, what I need is just the essentials. And we go in, I've done my research online, and I found my brand, the one that lasted eight years longer than anything else. And I found it, and I found the basic one, and we go in, and I'm going to get it. And it's white, and it is generic, and it's got two buttons. You turn it and start. And it goes around and gets warm and clothes dry. That's what I want. And I got that, and those essentials, those essentials, that simple don't get distracted. Our world is so distracted that we miss the essentials that we've been going over the last five weeks. And I want to show this morning some symmetry. Some symmetry of Ephesians 2 where Justin's been. And one of my favorite, favorite chapters in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. And these simple verses that show how those essentials are throughout Scripture. It's part of what God longs for us to experience. And in Psalm 23, I'll go ahead and read the first one and show you how they connect together. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me beside peaceful streams. I'm completely full. That's the essential, one of the essentials that Justin talked about. That being completely full. I love the very first part of that and it really is the essential. If I'm going to be completely full, I have to make a decision. And it's in the first part of that. The Lord is my shepherd. I have to decide who is going to be God. Me or God. I have to decide who's going to decide what is best and right. The creator who created me says, I love you, I've got a plan for you, and I've prepared it ahead of time. Or am I going to be the shepherd? I'm not a sheep, I'm the shepherd. I'm there. I want to read a quick verse, and one of the greatest clarifiers of this is in the book of 1 John, where it says simply this, because the, the core is I have to decide who's going to decide what. And, and one of the greatest areas is the area of sin. Am I going to decide I'm going to decide what is sin and what is not? Or am I going to let God determine what it is? And, and there's this common thought, and we've all thought it at some point. But the Bible is very clear. It says all have sinned. Now, I either agree with that and agree that God says that and what's sin, or I say, no, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, it says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So if I'm going to be the one who defines what sin is and what that is, then I'm on my own. Or I can choose God's economy and say, you're the shepherd and you're my shepherd. And in verse 9, it gives in the middle of those two, it gives this beautiful verse. If we agree, in other words, we confess our sin. You know what, God? I did that. 
and I have messed up, and I'm do, I, I, I do that. He says, he, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I have that fundamental choice. Now, here's the, here's the reality of what the enemy would want us to think. You know what? That's natural. You naturally feel that way, look that way, feel that way, do that way, whatever. Well, I can tell you this. I've naturally sinned on more than one occasion. It comes natural. I didn't have to try. It just came natural. And I believe that we're born with that choice. And God gave it to us. Now, we can see in this, this illustration a shepherd. Lord, you're the shepherd of the sheep going, well, I'm not going to follow you anymore. You know what? I'm not a sheep. I'm not a sheep. I don't identify as sheep. I am a bear. I'm a bear. I'm not a sheep. And that little sheep goes off and finds a doctor that says, we're going to inject you with bear hormones so you can be a bear. It does not change the sheep. It may be a weird looking sheep at that point, but it's still a sheep. Now see, here's the tragedy. That sheep goes, you know what? You guys are all a bunch of freaks. You're following that guy. I am a bear. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. And I am a bear. And that sheep has deceived itself. And as Jesus says in John 10, the enemy comes to steal and rob and destroy. When that sheep decides to go on his own, you know who's really excited about that? A wolf. And that sheep is now destroyed. And it's deceiving ourselves. But if we embrace and say, okay, God, you did create me. You are my shepherd. Look at what he gives. He says he, he, he literally lets me rest in green meadows. And he leads me beside peaceful streams. In other words, he's providing. I can find complete fullness. I become who I was meant to be. And he reveals that to me. If I will embrace that essential. Another essential is in verse 3. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. He guides me. In other words, and the essential that, that Justin gave us was that he gives me spiritual eyes. I see the way he longs me to see. When I seek him and I follow him, then I start to see my world with his eyes. I can come to him with my reality. Here's my problems, but here's the deal. I've got to come with, to him with that. Seek his word, seek him, realize he's with me in this. Uh, one of the best examples I can give you, and this is one of my favorites. I met a gentleman, professional golfer, years ago. He made it a little bit on the, the PGA Tour. He played in Europe and Asia and all over the world. He won the U.S. Public Links, played in the Masters. He's a great guy. I'll call him Ralph, because that was his name. And Ralph... Ralph is one of the funniest people I've ever met. And on his ascent in golf, now let me ask you this real quick. I've got to get a feel for how many details in his year. How many of you have played or know golf okay, just average or above? Okay. For those of you who don't, you're going to get the illustration anyway. But Ralph was playing in the mini tour trying to get his tour card. He's playing in a tournament and he was winning. Jack Nicholas. okay, for those of you who don't know golf, Jack Nicholas is probably one of the, the if not the, most successful golfer of all time, okay? His son was playing in the mini tour, and the rumor was that if he made the cut that weekend, that Jack Nicholas, the famous great golfer, was going to come and caddy for his son, and he made the cut. And he and Ralph were one and two in the tournament, which means they were going to play together. He said, Ken, I walked up to the tee on Saturday, and there's Jack Nicholas." He says, I was in awe. 
And he's carrying his son's bag, and he's like, this, this is unbelievable. He said, I couldn't concentrate the first holes. All I could think about was Jack Nicholas is here, and he's watching me play golf. And he says that, now, if you watch even for a moment, when they get on the green where they're using the putters, they'll mark their ball and take their ball up. They're allowed to clean it once they get on the green. And he said, I was sitting there lining my putt up, holding my ball, when I thought my caddy walked behind me and he took my ball and then I glanced over and Jack Nicholas had taken his ball and was cleaning his ball. And he said, I could not concentrate on the putt. I'm thinking, the greatest golfer ever is cleaning my golf ball right now. And I asked him if he really did this. I really did. He said, he walked back and gave it to me. And he, as he got about three steps away. He said, hey, Jack. And Jack Nicholas turned around and goes, yeah, Ralph. He goes, you missed the spot. And tossed him the ball back. <laughs> I said, you did that to Jack Nichols? He goes, I know, right? And he said, we finished the round, and, and I will never forget it. He says, but I'm headed to my car. He said, now, Ken, afterwards, we'll go to the range and, play, and, and work on something. But then we go to our car, we eat. Or, you know, there's not a lot of media. There's no people there. And he says, I hear my name. I thought my name. He says, from the other side of the parking lot, hey, Rao, Rao. He's like, who is, I don't know anybody in this town. He says, I turn around, and there's Jack Nicholas jogging towards me. Ralph, hey, Ralph, have you got a minute? And, and he was like, no, I really got to get to Burger King. I got a big appointment. He's like, yeah, I got a minute. And he says, Jack Nicholas came over. He says, Ralph, you played an incredible round today. He says, I watched your swing and there's a couple parts of your game. I noticed a couple pieces that I might be able to help with. Can I share those with you? Yeah. And he said, Jack Nicholas sat there and told me a couple of things. He says, what do you think I did with that? Man, the next day, that's all I could think about was that's what I need to do. And then he turned a corner and he says, Ken, isn't it amazing that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, wants to meet with us every day? And how many times do we go, you know what, Lord, I'm really busy, I got a full day, maybe I'll catch you later a little bit. When all he wants us to do is to get incredibly real and show us the right path on where we are. And how many of us take the time to go, Lord, here's my day, I got too much, I can't get it all done, I'm overwhelmed, Lord, help. And if we do that, God starts giving us peace and perspective and power. That's what he longs to do. It's the essential of spiritual eyes to see the way he sees it with the priorities that is planned for us, but we have to choose to accept that essential. In verse 4 is probably my favorite of all of these, and he says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close by me, beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Not only is God there, he is intimately there to help and protect. I looked up the rod and the staff part. The rod was a, a wooden, hard piece of hard wood. And that was for him to literally, if a predator came, a wolf or something, they got real accurate with throwing that. They'd just knock them silly and they'd run away. The staff is that long rod with the hook on it. So if the sheep started getting off, they'd go, hey, and they'd tap them on it with it. But if they got really off, they'd throw the hook around them and they'd drag them back with it. It's God's protection and his guidance. He longs to do that. But the word that makes the best impact on my life that I long for the most 
is that when we acknowledge God's presence, his mighty power, that essential of his mighty power with us, that's where it all changes. And, and I love the first part of that where he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. And, and I just want to just share with those of you who are like me that when I'm overwhelmed and I start feeling that fear of I don't have enough, I'm not going to make it, I'm not, I can't, I don't, I won't, at that point, I don't know if I've heard this acronym here, I don't know if Justin shared it, but the, have you ever heard of the acronym of FEAR? If you have, great. If you haven't, write it down. Fear, false evidence appearing real. And when we get in God's presence, that light disperses that false evidence. Yes, it's real, but it is not powerful. Yes, it may be overwhelming, but I am bigger than that. I've heard the phrase, don't tell God about your problems, tell your problems about God. Because when he shows up, it's over. And when we embrace that, we have this power, that with, there's something powerful about with. There's two parts to this. i got to just share this really cool experience I had with one of my sons. He's at a camp this summer for 10 weeks. He's, he's at a sports Christian camp. He's doing soccer and outdoor rec and mountain, just, just having a blast. And he is in his element. He's like, God, I've never, he said, Dad, I've never grown closer to God than I'm doing this summer. The beginning of the summer was 10 weeks, and my wife was fretting about it, and he says, you know, they make you take a week off in the middle. And I said, Cody, is there any way you can ask them to take off the 4th of July week? That's our big family reunion with my wife's family, and everybody's there. And he said, I'll ask, and he called back. This has been four months ago. He's like, Dad, I didn't have to ask. That's the week they, they make me take off. I'm like, dude, that's incredible. I got a great idea. Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. Dude, can you imagine you just showing up at the beach with all the family there? And it worked so great because she started fretting about three months ago. She was like, oh, my goodness. She goes, do you realize this will be the first year that we can't get a family picture? She goes, our boys are getting older, and this is just what's ahead. And then, I mean, every couple of weeks she'd bring it up again. About three weeks ago, she was like, I'm just sad. I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, well, just... Cody's not going to be at the beach. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. It's going to make me cry. And she's just like, I know, me too. And we just set her up. It could not have worked out more perfectly. We get there, and we're there on Friday. He's flying in Saturday, and I just, I was so excited. Actually, he flew in on Sunday. We got there Saturday. Her family shows up. Everybody's there except for Cody. And I, I remember telling her, hey, you know what, we're going to go see if we got to find this new smoothie place or something. And, and it's an hour to Pensacola and back, so we drive there. My oldest son and my nephew went with me to kind of cover it. And sure enough, we pick him up on the way back. We stopped and got the pizzas for everybody for dinner that night. And I told Cody, I said, I want you to wait right outside the door. When you see me, hear me say Coke Zero, I want you to walk in. So me and Graham and Palmer, my nephew, walk in. We got the pizzas. Everybody there. Everybody's hugging. Man, it's so great to see everybody. And oh, it's so good to see you. And, and somebody even said it. They said, oh, it's just a bummer. Cody's not here. And my wife, I saw her in the corner of my eye, just, just exhale. And I said, you know what? And we get in our big circle to pray. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, Heather, I, I, my wife loves Coke Zero. I said, hey, um, I got you Coke Zero, but I forgot it in the car. I'll go get it in a minute. But uh, I got you Coke Zero. She goes, oh, let's just pray. 
and the door opens and Cody walks in. He's like, I got Coke Zero. <laughs> and I wish you could see the look on her face. She just went, huh? <laughs> and to see him just open his arms and see her just bury her head in his chest, it was just, there's something about being with. There's just something about that. And that is the intimacy that God wants us to have with him daily. Get with me. I'm here. Embrace it. Be with me in this. And that with, I, I was out in Colorado. He had a couple days off and I extended my stay so I could be with him. And the day before we got together, I just, Lord, what, what can I do? I want to make this special. And I've got this time with my son, and I believe this is the way God works. When we come to him with our hopes and fears and excitement, he just gives us ideas. And sure enough, I thought, you know what? He's transitioning into manhood. He's going away to college next year. And you know what, Lord? I, what can I do? And this th it came to my heart and my mind. We both love to play disc golf. And so I got on the internet, and they've got multiple disc golf courses all over Denver. And I'm like, we're going to play disc golf. And I said, Lord, but... I, I want to give him something. I want to do something memorable. And this is one of the most memorable ever. It, it will literally go down epically in my heart and mind. God laid on my heart, Ken, I've got a little book that I keep and I write verses as they become meaningful. He said, this, this is what came on my heart. Ken, what were the verses that you go back to over and over and over in your life? Which ones have fundamentally changed the trajectory of your life? And you ought to just write those down and give them to him. And I got a little booklet from one of the stores, I mean, just a few pages, and I started writing down a few verses, and I kept going. I spent almost the entire day before we got together just writing down verses. Ended up writing down over 77 verses. And in the back, I wrote some psalms, and I'm like, this is amazing. So I pick him up. We go to a Rockies game. We go to dinner. He's telling me about everything. He's like, Dad, what are we going to do for our day tomorrow? I said, dude, I got a great idea. I love disc golf. I looked, there's like 10 courses around here. I thought we would try to play 100 holes of disc golf in one day. And he's like, I'm in. And I'm like, right on. We eat breakfast and we're headed to the first course. I said, Cody, I had a, an idea while we're playing. I said, in my life, I know I've told you stories about my life and those forks in the road, but I started to write down and think about what were the verses, what were the truths that I've come back to so many times, I've just memorized them. And, and I decided I would write those down. And I thought I'd put them in a book, and this is a book of those verses. And I thought maybe every two or three holes we'd read a verse, and I'd tell you the story and the situations and the failures and the frustrations and the changes and the decisions. And he's like, that would be awesome. We spent 11 hours playing 104 holes of disc golf. My right arm fell off my body twice, and I had to put it back on. And, and we read verses, and we told stories, and we talked, and we shared, and it will go down as one of the best days of my life. And it's because of a prompting of God to walk with him and say, God, will you give me your eyes? Will you show me where you have been full in my life? And will you ex let me experience your power? And, and I'm experiencing that. In verse 5, it says this, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. God gives us this 
confidence. He gives confidence. The world will tell us that we're crazy. The world will tell us all manner of insanity. And I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is becoming insane and belligerent and arrogant and, a, and aggressive. And God says, you choose my side. I'm going to prepare a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. And I'm going to let your cup overflow with significance and fulfillment and abundance and joy. And I'm going to do that. The transition I can best describe is a physical way. How many of you have been to the beach in the last 12 months? Raise your hand. All right. You know what my favorite feeling at the beach is? And you let me know if you agree with this. Three days we spent the whole day at the beach. It's very hot. It's very humid. We go out. We're in the sand. I put on the sunscreen and we're sweating and it gets in my eyes and it's, then we go swim in the surf and it's, it's salt all over you, then sweat, then salt, then sweat, then gunk, then sand. And, and by the end of the day, we've had a good time, but does anybody else just feel gross at that point? My favorite feeling in the world is to take that grossness and go in and take a shower and clean clothes in air conditioning. I've never felt more clean. I've been as clean, but that contrast is just how amazingly clean it is. And in God's economy, this confidence of hope, it takes my, my transition. It takes my overwhelming. It takes all of those components and circumstances. And it just lets me know, I got this. I am, I am completely confident in God's presence, that this is going to work out. He's going to work everything for my good, even my failure, even my frustration and shortfall, because I love him, and I keep coming back to him. And when we do that, we realize how magnificent he is. Instead of trying to redefine sin and justify and rationalize and, and change to be God, we just bask in the God who says, I will take your sin. And when you agree with me that it is sin, and you just confess it, as he says in Psalm 103, 12, I will cast it as far as the east is from the west, and you'll never see it again. And you can live in my righteousness and let me build you up in who I created you to be, not confused, fulfilled from the inside out. And finally, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. My challenge for you and I is to embrace that reality. Not that, and I know it's a little semantics, and I know Jesus said, leave there, come and follow me. But I'm finding where I am in my life today, in the midst of all this craziness, I have never had more peace and more assurance and more calm than I have right now. None of my circumstances would breed that. It's just his presence. It's his presence and his promise that he's going to do this. His goodness and his unfailing love. The semantics is this. I don't follow Jesus anymore. I'm, I need him right here with me. I don't want him out there somewhere. And the more that I see Psalms and the more I read, Jesus says, I'm with you. And I love this. He's not out there going, hey, come on, catch up, catch up. It says that he will pursue me. 
he is right here. And when Jesus, he's a good pursuer, he's right here. And he says earlier in there, I'm by your side. I am with you. That's where I need Jesus. And not only is he there, but we've got to acknowledge that and embrace that and get real and transparent with it. I've shared this story about two years ago, and it bears repeating. Most of you have never heard of Thelma Howard. Those of you who have for, have probably forgotten who she was, and you'll remember in a minute. Thelma was a housekeeper in Southern California with a special needs son. She had many jobs, but once she started working for Vivian and Walter, she stayed there. Vivian had told Walter, you're always at your company and I need help with our young kids. I know we can't afford it, but we're hiring a housekeeper. And they did. And it was Thelma Howard and she would work for him for almost three decades. And Thelma would work every day. Walter's company was a roller coaster. One time he took all 63 employees to the park next to the building where they worked and he told them, good news, bad news. Um, Bad news, I can't make payroll this week. Good news, I'm giving you each a share of stock in the company. You are now owners. Now, I don't know how you are. Kind of synthesize that for a minute. Imagine your boss coming to you next payday and just giving you a share of stock instead of a paycheck. What are we going to do? Well, he had to do that to Thelma a few times too. He said, I'll catch up next week, but I don't have it this week. Here's a share of stock in my company. She had no idea what it was. She put it in a folder. She'd call them the pieces of pretty paper. But years went on. His company would get better. And for for birthdays and for anniversaries, he would give Thelma another share of stock. And she'd put it in her folder. Thelma passed away and had a simple will. Please liquidate my estate and take care of my son. Anything that's left over, please take care of my son. Her son was special needs. He was in his 30s at the time. The executor of her will went through her estate and found the folder. And he said, are these legit? And they're like, oh, yes. He says, are you serious? And they said, yes. And he calculated and cashed them out. The pieces of pretty paper were worth over $1.3 million. See, Thelma Howard worked for Vivian and Walter Disney for over 30 years. And she held on to these pretty pieces of paper with a literal fortune in her possession and lived at or below the poverty level her entire life. Don't live below the poverty level. God's essentials for you and I is saying, I'm your shepherd. You will not be in need. Let Let me provide green pastures. Let me lead you beside still waters. Let me renew your strength. I will guide you in paths of righteousness. Bring honor to my name by doing so. Even though you walk in the darkest valley, don't be afraid, for I am right by your side. I have a rod and a staff, and I will use them. I have prepared a feast in the presence of your enemies. And you honor, you are honored, and I will anoint your head, and your cup will overflow in goodness and in my unfailing love is with you all the days of your life, and you will be with me in eternity. Our choice is not, does he provide it? Our choice is, will we embrace it and engage it today? Get real with him, and those essentials become real. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your truth that shows us who you are and your desire to be with us. 
and the essentials you have for us if we will just embrace and engage. Father, I pray that we would look honestly at what we're going through right now and that we would embrace your essentials so that we can experience your fullness, your abundance, life, and life to the full. And it's only through Jesus we get to pray and it's through the power that raised him from the dead that lives in us that is our hope. Amen.